You're listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent in Birmingham, Alabama, a church with a heart for the gospel. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org. Okay, I'm going to pray for us. We'll get off to the races. Lord, we thank you for your goodness and your loving kindness. We thank you for the gift of your Holy Spirit. We thank you for the truth and the reality of the gospel. I pray, Lord, that you would use this time for your glory and for the exaltation in the name of Jesus. I pray you'd use it for our sanctification and comfort. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, so this is class number two. Um, we are talking about performance, performance anxiety, performance pressure. And, um, uh, and so today we're going to focus about on how uh, in performance in the flesh, what we're really chasing is affirmation rather than love. We're really going to sink into the distinction between affirmation versus love. Affirmation being shallow and of the world, love being biblical and of God. And so, the, you know, you, you, there's this, uh, this tension uh, in our lives. We know that we are loved apart from our performance. That's the gospel. You are loved according to the performance of Jesus and his perfect life, Jesus on the cross. Um, that is what your, that God's favor, his, his favorable attitude towards you, that is what it's based on. It's based on the performance of Jesus and, and you are loved by grace as a gift. And we all have to get up and we have to do things. <laughs> we, people have jobs to go to. Uh, people have commitments to fulfill. People um, have houses to clean and <laughs> meals to cook and uh, you know, tests to take, um, papers to write, all these different kind of things where we do have to expend effort. And so you can see in the Bible, so we said last week, one of the key quote was, God is opposed to earning. He is not opposed to effort. God is opposed to us trying to earn his love, to try to earn his favor. That is something that we receive through Christ as a gift. Um, but God is not opposed to effort. I say this story over and over again. I need to get a new story. But you know, I had a, a, I have a father-in-law and a mother-in-law. My father-in-law was a dentist in Greenville, South Carolina, where Bob Jones is. And so you have, it's a very, very, very Christianized city. So you have a lot of employees who would come and they'd, they knew that my father-in-law, he's a really solid Christian man. He's just a wonderful role model. And, um, and they would talk all their Christian game and then they wouldn't clean their instruments and they would leave early and they'd show up late and they would do a bad job. And like, so you say you're a Christian, God is not honored by doing a bad job. <laughs> he is not honored or glorified um, when you don't fulfill your commitments. And so where is this tension between, you know, we do have to do things, but how do we walk uh, in the freedom of knowing that we're loved apart from our performance? How is it that we expend effort in a way that honors the Lord while doing it restfully? doing it in a manner such um, that we have comfort uh, in our heart. We know that we, have, we are at peace with God. Um, how is it that you know, students who are getting ready back, to go back to school, uh, how is it that you study for your tests, you do your homework, and you do it uh, without growing weary, without that tension, without that grind and that, that white knuckling? And so that's what we're going to talk about. And so uh, that's what we're after. So I want to start out with a question. And this, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put people on the spot here. If you have ever gone to a Poison concert, Poison, 1980s glam metal. If you've ever gone to a Poison concert, stand up. Holy cow! 
who is this bunch of people I'm hanging out with? I just want you all to know that you've probably never run into a bigger glam metal fan in your life than Cameron Cole. I have seen, uh, I have seen Poison and Motley Crue more than five times. It's probably why my hearing is not very good. Um, so this here is, can anybody tell me who this is? That's what I'm talking about. Thank you, Matters. There's a real gentleman in this house. No. Um, this is C.C. DeVille. C.C. DeVille was the lead guitarist for Poison, which was this huge glam metal band back in the 1980s. And for those of you who are unfamiliar with this, these were guys who, um, you know, they played heavy metal, but they had like long blonde hair and they, uh, they wore lots of leather and, and, um, and they, uh, they wore lots of makeup too. Um, but anyhow, uh, but, but C.C. DeVille was the lead singer, uh, I'm sorry, the lead guitarist for Poison. Who is the lead singer? Brett Michaels, you got that right. Okay, so that being said, this is an interview with C.C. DeVille, and he's talking about his career. And all of these guys did hard drugs, hard, hard drugs. They ran hard, and, um, and, and a lot of them either died or got sober, and C.C. got sober. And so anyhow, he's talking about his career, and he's talking about coming up you know, as a rock star and what was really motivating him. And I want you to listen to how revelatory and transparent what he says is it's it's great Yes, you can tell he did a lot of hard drugs. Um, <laughs> but anyhow, but uh, essentially what he's saying is he was talking about how it is that, that rock stars get taken advantage of financially. And the point he was making is you don't really get into it for the money. You get into it because what you're after is you want to be loved. He, he says that over and over again. You're in it because you want the people to love you. I mean, and... The thing that's so uh, awesome about that is like most of us, that is what's driving all of our performance is the desire to be loved, the desire to be loved. And yet he is just able to articulate what most of us are not really cognitively aware of, but what at the sub-rational and at the heart level is really going on all the time. We are trying to perform in order to earn love. New, okay, pop, pop culture question. Who here has seen The Family Stone? Sarah Jessica Parker. Yeah, you know, it's a movie I mostly love, sometimes hate, but remember the, the kind of the climax of the, of the movie. Sarah Jessica Parker is this 
Uh, she's coming with the golden child uh, son of the family. And he, you know, he's kind of perfect. And they're both investment bankers in New York. And she's from Bedford, Connecticut. And she's, she, sounds, she sounds very, very snooty. And she's trying so hard throughout the movie, so hard throughout the movie to win the approval of the family. And the family, they're really unkind. They're kind of jerks. And at the end, Ginger, what happens? She, she spills the breakfast casserole all over herself. And she's melting down. Uh, and she's broken. And she says, doesn't anybody doesn't anybody love me? You know, she's come to kind of win the, to, to try to impress the family, to try to get everybody on her side, to get them to like her so that they'll approve of, of, uh, of her and her boyfriend, the son, getting married. And at the end, when everything falls apart, doesn't anybody love me? Okay. And so one of the big things that we're going to talk about today is how as sinners, we have a very distorted very inaccurate understanding of what love actually is, of what love actually is. We absolutely need God through his word to define for us what love actually is, because that's what we're chasing. But in our sin, what we're actually chasing is affirmation and thinking that it's love. Okay. And so to first get a sense of, of what we're talking about with love. You have a chart here. We've got a little worksheet. Love a worksheet, love a chart. Love a graphic organizer. Uh, and so with that being said, there's this chart. And what you can see in the chart is this, uh, you know, this paradigm of creation, fall, redemption, glorification. And so it's a good thing to start with creation and then to look at glorification. Creation before sin. Uh, here, I got some more up here on the, on, on the table. Um, yeah, it's a, it's a front, front and back. Got... Uh, yeah, scriptures on the front and charts on charts on the front, scripture on the back. Um, but anyhow, so we see that in creation before sin, when everything is right, and after the second coming of Christ and glorification, that we live in perfect communion with God, and our status before God is that we are perfectly loved. We are seen as righteous. Um, yeah, we we are seen as perfectly acceptable in the eyes of God. And so our status is that we're, we're um, perfectly accepted, we're perfectly loved. And then our relational orientation to God is that we're in communion. We're in perfect communion with God. That is what our heart longs for. Our heart is made for eternity. It knows that that's the kind of love um, that, that we were born into in the garden. It, we kind of instinctively know that that's what we're made for and that's what we need. And what we long for is the perfect love uh, that we will experience upon glorification. So in sin, what happens is, in sin, our status with God, uh, pre-Christ, is that we are under God's judgment. We are, we are not under God's favor. We are under the wrath of God, it says in Ephesians 2, that we were children of wrath. Um, so so we, that is our status before the Lord in sin. And then in terms of our relational orientation to God, we are alienated from God. We're separated from the Lord. There is a, a, an uber-existential loneliness that we feel as a product of sin. And so the work of Jesus, the work of Jesus in our lives, like when we repent and believe and come into relationship with Jesus, our status before God changes. We are now deemed righteous. Our sins are forgiven and we receive the righteousness of Jesus. So our status before God is that we're righteous. 
Um, and we are brought into union with Christ. That is where we have oneness with God through Christ. Christ is in us. We are in Christ. And so we now, if you're a believer, you live in this tension. You live in this tension where because you have sinful flesh, because you live in the fallen world, you still kind of feel this fear of judgment. You still feel some sense of, of, of isolation. But through the Holy Spirit and through the Word of God, you've been made right with God. And you, um, you are one with Christ. And so when we have those moments where we have that sense of joy and that sense of closeness to God, that's a, that's a foretaste of the fullness of what we'll experience in, in heaven upon our glorification. And so, so with that being said, when in our performance, out of the flesh, we're not operating under the gospel, not operating in the spirit, we're trying to accomplish two things in our performance. One, we are trying to fight off judgment. Keep in mind that our default mode, like I wake up in the morning operating out of the flesh, it requires repentance and the help of the Holy Spirit for me not to operate in the flesh. And honestly, it takes that all day long. It takes it all day long, okay? Um, because it's so natural. The tide is so naturally moving towards the flesh. And so, um, so with that being said, the first thing we're trying to do is fight off judgment. So if you've ever had, I, I honestly, no, when I taught in the inner city, this was true, but for the most part, I've really never had a critical boss. I've always had really kind, nice bosses. But if you've ever had like a critical boss, you know, you kind of come into work and you're just trying to perform to prevent criticism, to prevent, you know, them saying like, what about this? What about that? From them coming down on you. Uh, you know, or if you, you have a, um, you know, a critical mother-in-law or a critical coach, boy, I, you know, seems like in coaching, that kind of the norm is to, with boys. It's just like to yell at boys. <laughs> yell at boys, yell at boys. And so you're, you're just kind of performing out of fear to try to prevent your coach from yelling at you. I know, I know what that's like. Um, so anyhow, so the first thing we're trying to do in our performance is we're trying to solve that first problem that's been created with sin is that we're under judgment. We're trying to fight off judgment. We're trying to deliver ourselves. And then the second thing that we're trying to do um, is that we're trying to earn love earn relationship, earn fellowship. You know, and one thing with the gospel, we'll talk a lot about justification. Justification, what that refers to is when a person puts their faith in Jesus, their sins are forgiven and they receive the righteousness of Jesus. That's what makes us right with God. The bad stuff is taken care of through the cross and the good stuff that Jesus earned in his perfect life is attributed to us. And so that is a means to an end. And the end of justification is being brought into communion with God. It's being brought into union with Christ. Uh, I think that for a lot, a lot of my Christian life in my 20s, I was just, I was very helped and healed by justification. Um, and I was, I would just camp out there, camp out there. And then at one point, my faith got extremely dry. Um, very, very dry. I, I just, I don't know, I wasn't feeling the feels. And I picked up a book on union with Christ at a, at a, at a conference for the plane ride home. Uh, it's One with Christ by uh, Marcus Peter Johnson changed my life. Because what I realized is that I was camped out in justification, and I didn't realize that God had justified me to bring me into relationship with him. And that that is what my heart at the deepest level longed for. We need to be justified. We long to be in union with Christ. We long to have fellowship with God, because that is what will define our life in heaven. That is what we're made for. And so the point here is we need love. We want love. 
but in performance, what we really seek after is affirmation. And so we're going to get to that. Uh, we're going to get to that here um, in this next chart here on your sheet, uh, the chart about affirmation. And so this is really important to get, in my opinion. And by the way, I don't want to. One thing I don't want you to hear here, you know, there is there are things like affirmation, which is encouragement, which is a good thing. You know, like if you have an employee who does a good job, you want to tell them you did a great job, or you know, you have a child who's really trying hard. You say, you know, you're you're giving a good effort. Like way to go. This is great. You know, I, 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 what is it that Chris? Well, husbands need so much affirmation. We do. We are. We live on it. Chris Rock said it. Uh, he said it about women, but I think it's true of, of husbands in particular. Bread, water, affirmation. We all need it. We all need to be encouraged. I'm talking about affirmation as a concept of false love. False love that we see kind of proliferated and, um, and proselytized in the world. And so we're going to look at this juxtaposition between affirmation and love. Love being of God and of scripture, affirmation uh, being of the world and being, you know, as deep as a coat of paint. Uh, so first, affirmation gives you approval at your best. So like when you uh, have a good game, you know, you throw a shutout, uh, you have a good quarter in sales, um, you do the things to make your parent or your spouse or, or your roommates happy, you get affirmation. And so affirmation celebrates you and approves of you at your best when you've done a good job. But love, the love of Christ, it gives approval of you at your worst. Now that's not to say that it celebrates your, your sin. It doesn't do that. We're going to get to that in a second. But, affirma- but true biblical love loves you at your worst, embraces you, stays with you, clings to you at your worst. Now, affirmation involves no intimacy. Affirmation is usually relationally shallow. We'll talk about why in a second. Whereas love, the love of Christ, is intimate. It's rich. It it, it moves towards oneness. Okay, now why is that? Get to our next thing here. Because affirmation really doesn't have a category for and doesn't know how to deal with sin. That's the deal. Affirmation loves you at your best. It doesn't know what to do with you at its worst because it doesn't have a category for sin. Uh, and that, you know, an affirmation, uh, the reason it doesn't have a category for sin doesn't know what to do with it because the world doesn't have a cross. The world doesn't have a mechanism for atoning for sin. Because here's the thing, like, sin creates friction in relationships. It creates distance. It hurts people. And so, as a product of that, like, unless you can deal with the sin, you're, you're not going to be able to move forward in intimacy, right? And so, so, with that being said, affirmation, the world doesn't have a cross. Because in the cross, our, our sins are died for. They're atoned for such that we can call a thing what it is. Hey, you're a sinner and you're forgiven. And as a person who's forgiven, we can move forward. And so as a product of that, what affirmation tends to do, it does one of two things. First thing it does is it reinterprets your sin and says, no, that's not bad. That's actually okay. That's, 
No, no, that's not sin. That's good. That's good. It affirms you in your bad stuff. Rather than saying, that's sin, I still love you. But that's sin. And that's hurting you. And that's hurting me. And that's hurting your relationship with God. Affirmation just tries to reinterpret sin and say, no, 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 that's okay. That's not bad. That's not sin. And, and kind of pats, pats you on your back in your sin rather than addressing it. Now, let me ask you this. In terms of intimate relationships, if you don't acknowledge sin, if you don't acknowledge, you know, particularly like in a marriage, if you don't acknowledge when, when somebody has hurt you, I mean, how much, what, what tends to happen in that relationship? Distance, right? You start to kind of bear a grudge. You start to dance around things. It's, you know, this happens a lot with roommate situations uh, where you know, it's with a college roommate or you're a young adult, you're rooming with somebody, sharing rent, and something has happened and you, 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 don't, you don't want to confront it. Um, and so there just becomes this awkward distance, awkward distance where we're just polite. And that corrodes relationships. And it, it, it is the opposite. It, um, it's, it's opposed to intimacy. And so with that being said, um, affirmation doesn't have the mechanism or the substance to generate real intimacy. Now, the love of Jesus is able to say, hey, you sinned, and I love you. You know, you sinned, and I'm with you. And hey, I sinned, and, uh, and, and God is with me. And so, um, and so with that being said, uh, this to me, sorry, affirmation is sought through performance. No, well, I'll come to that in a second. <laughs> sorry, guys. Talk, I'm a verbal processor, talking out loud. So affirmation is sought through performance. I need to be really good so mom, will, mom or dad will give me the approval that I want. Um, I need to, to perform really well so that my boss will be pleased with me. Whereas love, it's received by grace. Love is received by grace and ex- experienced in real relationship. Real relationship where we're honest uh, about our flaws, honest about our struggles, honest about our sin, and where there's a presence of reconciliation. And we're going to see this when we get into... Romans chapter 5, but some good examples of, uh, of, of seeking, uh, looking for love in all the wrong places, uh, but looking for love when really what we're after is, really what we're going after is affirmation. One would be social media or Instagram, where, uh, you know, where there's, you know, trying to procure a perfect image, you're trying to make yourself look good, you're looking for likes, you're looking for affirming comments. Um, but the people can't see you. It's not real. They can't see your real struggle. They can't see the, the full picture of you. Or pornography. Pornography is, is a great example of it because there's this, uh, I mean, men and women are drawn to the like, but speaking from the male perspective, men are attracted to it because there's this sense of love, but like you're in control that's not real. They can't see you in any kind of way. And so it's, it's mistaking uh, uh, love for affirmation. Um, and then finally, if you think about going back to our boy C.C. DeVille and Poison, you know, think about um, he wants to be loved, right? How close are the people that he's getting love from to him? How exposed is he? He's up on a stage. They've rehearsed over and over and over again. He's up on a stage for an hour and a half um, with all the lights perfect, and 
all the people are far away. All they see is him at his best, and they don't see him, you know, at his worst. And so that is that, you know, in the flesh, through our performance, what we're really after is affirmation, but what we really need to satisfy our heart, what we really need is love. And so we're going to look at a couple of passages. First uh, John chapter 3, uh, verses 16 through 18. Um, hey, Ginger, would you mind getting me a cup of water? So sorry. Thanks so much. Um, cotton mouth. Okay, so first, uh, first John chapter 3, verses 16 through 18. So it says, God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God, and God in them. This is how love is made complete among us, so that we will have confidence on the day of judgment. In this world, we are like Jesus. There is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear, because fear has to do with punishment. Perfect love drives out fear, because fear has to do with punishment. So here is this you know, very concise description of love. And I want you to notice the elements here of being justified and of relationship. Being justified and being in real relationship, that, those are the ingredients of experiencing real love, the love of God. And so at first it says God is love. So here we are defining love. Um, and it says whoever lives in love lives in God. Uh, and God in them. So this, this is a really good description of the, the union and the oneness um, that we receive, one, through union with Christ, and two, through the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. Um, you know, Jesus says in John 14, I am in the Father, and you are in me, and I am in you. It's a mysterious thing, but the reality is when you become a believer through the Holy Spirit, Jesus Christ genuinely dwells in your heart. And in a mysterious way that we cannot understand, we dwell in the heart of God. We dwell in the heart of Jesus in heaven. Crazy, but awesome. Thank you so much. I so appreciate it. Save the day. Um, Okay, so you can see this language of union. All right, so then it says, this is how love is made complete among us so that we will have confidence on the day of judgment. In this world, we are like Jesus. Wow, Cameron, that sounds a lot like performance. You mean like me being like Jesus gives me assurance? Yeah, so what John says is part of what gives us assurance that we're a believer is that we're convicted of sin. Uh, we're convicted of sin and we seek to repent. And that convicts, you know, you see this throughout the letters in the New Testament, that when you're convicted of sin, that is a gift to assure you that in fact, the Holy Spirit of God is in you because the Holy Spirit is, is opposed to sin. And, and so as a product of that, that conviction is an assurance that God gives you of, yes, in fact, you are saved and your home is in heaven. And it also assures us that we're in a real relationship with God, where God, through the Holy Spirit, is doing that daily work of relational reconciliation. When we're in sin and we're convicted and we're moved to live like Jesus, um, that is like we're having, we're having day-to-day reconciliation with God. In the same way, when I wrong one of my kids or I wrong my spouse and I need to apologize and to seek forgiveness, uh, that's kind of what's going on there in that conviction and moving to be like Jesus. And then finally, he says, there is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment. And so we know that through the gospel, through what Jesus has done, we are freed and absolved from the fear of judgment. We are absolved from the fear of punishment because Jesus 
has taken our pun- the punishment for our sin on the cross. And so again, we see these ingredients of justification and communion as the ingredients of true love that we receive not by performance. And so the bottom line of what we're going for here and that I hope you can take away is that we want to start from a, start from a position of the love of God. We want to start our day, start our whatever, whatever endeavor we're entering into with the knowledge that we live in the perfect love of God. And then out of that, we can expend effort in a way where it's not about us. It's not about trying to earn. It's not about us trying to fight off criticism. But instead, we're doing it out of love for the Lord. We're doing it out of fullness and completion. And we're doing it such that we can focus on the welfare of the people um, that, that we're endeavoring for. Okay, now, Romans chapter 5, verses 1 through 11. This is meaty for nine minutes, but we're going to give it a go. But we're really going to look at this with a focus on justification and that communion with God. So verse 1, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Okay, so again, he says, since we have been justified. So since forgiven, you receive the righteousness of God by faith. You've received this. You've not earned this. You've received this as a gift. We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. That peace means you do not need to live in fear that God is mad at you. You do not need to live in fear that God is holding a grudge against you. You do not live in fear that God is looking to bring down the hammer on you. He brought the hammer on Jesus on the cross. He's not bringing it down on you. That's been transferred away from you. So verse 2, through him we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand and we rejoice in the hope of glory of God. So again, you can see obtained by faith. That is language of, of receiving. That is language of passivity. We have received this grace. And so sometimes we can think about grace as the forgiveness of sins. That's one connotation of, of grace. But another connotation is that God has a favorable attitude towards you. Um, you know, that God's disposition towards you is that he likes you. He's on your side. He's for you. He is your advocate. And so the grace in which we stand um, refers to that attitude that God has towards you. And so, you know, he says we, re- we rejoice in the hope of glory. Um, this is, you know, when we, when we kind of know and believe and experience that grace, uh, it is giving us just a little sample of the great favor that we will see and fully experience permanently without cease when, we're, when we see Jesus face to face in heaven. And so he goes on here, we're going to go verses uh, 3 through 5. It says, not only that, we rejoice in sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope, and hope does not put us to shame, because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. And so, you know, you can see here he's saying like sufferings, setbacks, failures. You can, this, this little section reeks of stability. It reeks of stability. We rejoice in suffering. You know, we have hope in suffering. Um, we endure. In fact, we're, we're transformed in suffering. There's just this stability because if you're after affirmation, if you're living out of the flesh and seeking affirmation through performance, there's just a constant instability. There's instability under the law. Does he like me? Does he not? Does he like me? Does he not? It's kind of like uh, being a middle schooler in a dating relationship. Oh, Oh, she really likes me. Oh, no, she hates me. Oh, she really likes me. No, he doesn't. What do they mean by that text? 
Yeah, anyhow. Um, yeah, that is, not, that is not the love of God. The love of God is stable. And we can see that stability. And it says, because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit. You know, if, if you're listening to this kind of stuff, and this is true, I, I, am, I happen to be one of those um, Christians who has a, I have a relatively existential faith. I, like, feel the presence of God a lot. Um, I feel, you know, the joy of Christ a lot. That's a blessing. But not everybody is made that way. God didn't make everybody that way. And I have a really good friend. He'll say, that is not my experience at all. Um, and, uh, you know, I he says, I'll experience the presence of God and the joy of Christ, like, some. But not in a way where it's just like, you know, flowing out of my heart. And, and you know, I just, it's just not his, that's just not the way that God made him. And um, a lot of times people like me, especially in ministry, want to project the way we experience the Lord onto others as a normative thing, when in reality we're all made different, we experience the Lord differently. Um, a lot of people get burned, particularly in charismatic settings, through projecting this very existential faith onto people who God hasn't necessarily made in that way. But the point I was getting to you before I totally went down that rabbit hole is that the Holy Spirit is the person of the Trinity that helps us to experience the love of God. And so with that being said, if you find yourself being like, man, I, uh, I, I long to kind of experience God's grace more, you call on the Holy Spirit to help you in that. The Holy Spirit um, is part of God's gift to us to, to, to have a greater sense and greater assurance and experience of his love for us. All right, verse six. Now you're going to see what we're talking about here, about how love sees us at our worst and it approves, us, approves of us. It sees us at our worst, accepts us, and is for us. For while we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous man, though perhaps for a good person, one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. At our worst, Jesus is endeavoring to love for us. Jesus, with the benefit of having a divine will, <laughs> Uh, was living the perfect life for you and dying on the cross for you when we were at our worst, I mean, before we were even born, right? And so we can see here that, that um, the, you know, the justification of uh, how real love, uh, real love is with you when you don't make quota, when you forget all your responsibilities, when you have a massive meltdown or a massive temper tantrum, when you relapse, whatever it is, true love is with you at your worst. Um, yeah, and, and that's, knowing that, I feel like really um, takes the air out of the balloon of this pressure we feel to perform, to know that God is for you at your worst. And so if in your endeavors, you know, you perform your worst or that you get the worst outcome, like you're, you're already loved, you're already good. Um, and so, uh, so going on to verses 9 and 10, it says, Since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved, from, saved by him from the wrath of God. Again, the judgment of God has been removed. For if while we were enemies we were reconciled, here comes this word reconciled, it's going to be just dropped like crazy. We were reconciled to God by the death of his son. Much more now that we are reconciled shall we be saved by his life. 
More than that, also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. When you see the repetition of the same word, the author is emphasizing something, making a point. And so uh, the point here is that we have been reconciled to God. We have been brought from judgment and distance into fellowship with the Lord. And so I um, I have kind of two things to to, to close here. One is, um, I have three things. One is how is it then that we fall out, we get out of the performance trap. We get off the performance treadmill um, where we are, you know, feeling so much pressure and anxiety and fear. The first is we need to recognize our natural propensity as human beings to chase affirmation rather than receiving love. That's the starting point. We kind of have to know our tendencies, to know our default mode. And that's the first thing we do. It's it's just, hey, Lord, help me. Holy Spirit, help me to realize that my default today is to chase affirmation when what I really need is love. Okay? So that's the first thing. Second thing I would say that helps us is to remember the gospel. Remember that we have been justified. Our sins are forgiven. We receive the righteousness of Jesus. um, And we are loved by God. We're in communion with him. But the last thing, and this is, I'd say for me personally, as I like studied and prepared for this, this was the thing that I think was most helpful for me. I think this is maybe the most important insight. And that is, I think the greatest asset we have in living from this freedom is to live in a real relationship with Jesus where we're in constant reconciliation. Um, Where we are going before the Lord and saying, Lord, you know, forgive my sins. Forgive me for not trusting you in this. Forgive me for struggling in this way and receiving the forgiveness of Jesus. Because when we live in that real relationship, number one, it draws us into, it draws us into more intimate relationship with Jesus. If you're, if you're feeling like your spiritual life is kind of stale and you're distant from God, the first thing that I do is I go on a walk and I go through the Ten Commandments and I ask the Holy Spirit to convict me of where I'm in sin. And because generally, because sin, you know, draws us away from the Lord. And when we confess sin, it's like, those things that are creating distance are being knocked down one by one. And so, um, number one, it creates greater intimacy. But number two, it just helps us to realize and to really live into the fact that you are loved apart from your performance. You're loved at your worst. Um, and that's the thing that really, I think, takes the air out of the balloon. So um, I'm going to pray. I have no responsibilities after this. So if anybody wants to hang around and talk, I'm happy to talk. Um, sorry I didn't have time for questions. Might be. Uh, Lord Jesus, thank you for the realities of the gospel. And, uh, you know, we're, it's just, it's really hard to live in this God and uh, hard to live in the tension. And, um, I mean, you know, we're just sheep, but you're a great Savior. You're a great God. And uh, you're a great Heavenly Father to us. And you've given us your great Holy Spirit. And so help us to walk in the freedom and the comfort um, of our justification. Help us to draw near to you and have joy and intimacy with Jesus. And, um, and help us not to chase affirmation, but to receive uh, real love. And so we trust you. We ask these prayers in Jesus' name. Amen. You've been listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent. If you live in Birmingham or find yourself visiting, we hope you will join us at one of our Sunday services. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org.